Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today I have joining me on Sales Lead Dog, Gene Villeneuve. Gene, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Well, great. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the Sales Lead Dog podcast. Yeah, oh, it's, it's good to have you on here. And one of the things I, I'm excited about having on, Gene, is you know we typically have on sales leaders. You've held that position in the past, but now you're working as a mentor and an advisor leveraging your skill set. Um, so we definitely want to dive into all of that. But when you check out Gene's LinkedIn profile, one of the things that's really going to grab you is he is a mentor advisor and then endurance athlete. I, I, I immediately have to start with that, Gene. How did you get into being a, you know, this path of being an endurance athlete? Yeah, well, thank you. I've, I've always been an athlete in the sense that, uh, like when I was like a young kid, um, a bicycle for me was an escape. It was an escape from some chaos uh, on the home front, which I don't need to get into, but it became a passion for me because it was like that safe spot for me where not only did I be, was I able to get out of the house and go explore for hours on end, but I made incredible friends. And then in my early teens, it became sort of the passion for me and the it what kind of drove me and taught me discipline, taught me endurance, taught me uh, focus, uh, taught me that you had to work and put the hours in in order to achieve something. And it also created an incredible community. And it taught me that, you know, for me to be successful, I need to surround myself by other people who have a shared passion, shared discipline, and, can, and where I could learn a lot from. Um, so that's how I got into cycling and endurance sports back in my teenage years. But that's always been a core aspect of my personality and something that's been very important to me throughout my entire career. Just, you know, not only is it a way to de-stress after a long day or a tough day or somehow sometimes in the middle of the day, um, but it just becomes something else in addition to family and in addition to work and it's just something else that's your own, right? And you, you know, and when you're out with your friends and on these long bike rides, like, like it's, you can have these like meaningless conversations that are not stressful. You can talk about tire pressure. You can talk about like, you know, frame materials. You can talk about seats. You can talk about power and wattage and heart rate. And it doesn't really matter. It's not like you're like being grilled by, you know, the board on like, you know, what's your pipeline? What's your pipeline conversion? What's your pipeline coverage? Right. Or, you know, dealing with uh you know familial issues like you know what you know our kids like you know are they over programmed are they in too many swimming competitions or horseback riding competitions or other things right so it's just it's an escape from all of that but at the same time it's a way to to maintain this this passion and community and, and fitness and you know I, I love being able to just have that little thing on the side which is actually now that i'm semi-retired it's becoming more and more important to me i'm actually spending more time and i'm fitter now on my bike than i've ever been um and setting some personal records that you know at the age of 51 you know 10 years ago i couldn't ride my bike as fast as i ride now 
No, that's pretty great. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I find for me that exercise is just a key component of maintaining sanity um, and, yeah, and alleviating some of the stress, letting that stuff go. And, and also to have that time where, you know, you, you can clear your head, which I think is really important to have that release. Absolutely. And then also on top of that, when your head is cleared and you're not kind of deep in thought on something, um, and you're just kind of enjoying the atmosphere, enjoying the environment. Sometimes these new ideas will come into your mind that are right, like about work or about family, or about something that you're grappling with, like on the professional side. But it's like, oh, it's a new idea will suddenly come to you. And then when you're back in the office or back at work, so to speak, you could, you know, pursue that idea and see if it works. And yeah. so, yeah, it does open up your mind to other things. So, when you look back over your career um, before you became semi-retired, what were the three things that really drove your success? Ooh, I think um, this is probably something that sounds trite, but I think everybody will 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 say this is curiosity. I think curiosity is something that's always driven my passion and my ability to become successful uh, in in my career. I think the other one too is just um, like the the ability to take risks um, and the willingness to take risks. Cause I moved overseas twice for my career and the second time I did it with my family. Um, so that's also a challenge. I think the, the third thing too, in terms of uh, just like having an extremely supportive family um, that is a hundred percent behind like our a shared objective as, as a family, you know, that we want to have, adventures we want to be continuously pursuing our, our passions and our curiosity um and not wanting to just live a, a normal life um like for me a normal life was you, know, you graduate from university you get a job you buy a house you get a mortgage you buy a car you get a car payment um and that was never what drove us right i mean i um by not having a mortgage not having car payments i didn't have my first car till i was in my 30s um, and we didn't buy a house until I think after we came back from Paris the first time. Um, and because we weren't tied down to mortgages, we weren't tied down to car payments. It was very easy for us to make these decisions. Um, and I think that kind of drove a lot. I mean, that's kind of on the the, the periphery, but I think uh, when it comes to the professional sort of things, it's always, you know, the curiosity, the willingness to take risks. Um, and I think the other the third one, family aside, maybe a fourth one is just, um, I've always been driven by helping others be successful as well. Um, like for me, it's not about me. It's about like, can the team be successful? Can we win this opportunity together? Can we deliver something really innovative to market together? Um, and did I enable or somehow contribute to this team becoming successful in a new product launch or in, you know, blowing out our, our, our quota for that year or that quarter? Um, you know, I always felt myself as a as an enabler and somebody who would kind of surround the team or work within the team and enable the team to be successful. Wow, that's great. Now, you didn't start out in sales. You started out with more of a product focus. Can you talk about your level evolution from your product focus into sales? Yeah. Um, so out of university, it was the funny things. I, I started working for a software company called Cognos back in the early 1990s. And it was in actually a pre-sales role, but it was more of a sales education role. Um, but 
they, they wanted me to become more technical on the pre-sales side, but I had a business degree and wasn't very technically competent. Um, so as the products were becoming more mature and more complex, um, I decided, well, just you know, being in a pre-sales technical role wasn't really the thing for me, but I was always uh, passionate about the product and trying to make the product better and respond to product requirements. So I wanted to get into the corporate team. Um, so I moved into the corporate team and started working in product management and alliances. Um, and I learned, I mean, the interesting thing is that even though I wasn't really in a sales role back then, I was in what's called like a field support product liaison role. I wasn't really product management or product marketing, but I was assigned to work and partner with the field on all of the big opportunities that we were working back then. And some of these were like multi-million dollar deals. And I was like the liaison person between uh, the field team, the sales team, and the product team, and making sure that we were evolving the product in order to respond to those larger market opportunities and those larger um, customer requirements. As a result of doing that, I became um, very intimate with product and product management and um, you know, driving a product that was market-centric or, and delivering on large customer opportunities. Um, so from there, I ended up going to a startup um, in 99 and was doing everything kind of customer facing. So product management, product marketing, customer success, uh, pre-sales training. Um, so I very quickly like learned a lot about everything that has to do with like the customer experience and the customer journey from the initial kind of once they're on board as a customer, how do you make sure that they're successful and that they expand and use more of the product. Then from there, we were acquired uh, by a company in France and ended up moving to France. And then I was just spent all of my time in that company from 2000 till 2006 in a product management global role where I was just introducing new products to market, um, but always looking at how do we expand the, uh, either expand the customer base or sell more into an existing customer. So I always looked at the product role in the context of how do I help the sellers sell more and how do I help our customers get more value out of that capability and become sticky with our capabilities. Um, so I, I always felt like I had like a, a sales mentality towards um, towards product management. And some people will say yeah, that's actually bad product management because you should be market centric and not sales driven. Um, but when you're in a very high, fast paced growth environment where you've got a highly competitive market, you have three or four kind of big players and you're competing against these three or four big players all the time. It comes down to like a product strategy that has to be sales focused because that's how you're going to end up winning against these these other large competitors. Um, and I started doing and I kept doing product management uh, for quite a while. And then I ended up moving back to Canada and then took a product management or product leadership role, a global leadership role for Cognos, where I ran actually their BI practice or their BI product line, which was at the time around just my 800 million a year. And I think by the time I left, it was touching a billion. Um, but uh, I love doing that. But at IBM, the interesting thing about IBM, and IBM is a phenomenal organization for this, is that they had tagged me as, this is somebody who can actually go on and do other things in the business, but he's kind of grown up in product. Uh, we really need to get him to do other things so that we can round him out as, a, as an executive. Um, so they had an opportunity for me to move to Europe and it was actually kind of career-wise, it might've looked like a step backwards, but they said, look, you know the BI practice, you know the business intelligence, the business analytics market quite well. Um, 
you know, we need somebody in Europe to help that team become successful in competing and selling that product in Europe. So they said, hey, would you be willing to take a job back in Europe, um, you know, leading a sales team? And it was just a sales team, like 120 people at the time. And um, I said, yeah, sure, why not? It's an opportunity. My wife and I wanted to move back. We had two young kids. We thought it'd be a great opportunity for us to go do something different. And again, to spur that, like taking a risk, but also this curiosity and doing something which, like I lost all sleep over this role thinking, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to be successful or not, but it's worth trying. Um, and I remember the uh, there was a new global GM sales leader whom is somebody that was phenomenal um, at leading sales uh, and she's now CEO over, over another company um, but I remember like you know reporting into her and and she like one-on-one -on -one, she was really really hard on me but in a, in a positive way she says look Gene one of the things that like nobody told you this but your, your sales role it's it's not about product it's all about like pipeline pipeline coverage you know, velocity of the sales and, you know, how are you going to make your number? And you need to be able to have very crisp answers for the management team within IBM. And you need to get like behind the numbers and understand each and every one of these deals and what's unique about these deals, who are the players with the deals. Um, you know, you need to understand all of that stuff. And then she coached me behind the scenes and she was phenomenal. It's still somebody that I, 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 I think very highly of, but, but that was like, you know, um, learning, like stepping kind of into that role, sort of like stepping into a hot seat, especially in the IBM context, because like every week, the very senior folks and GMs and SVPs and CFOs at IBM were in your shorts. Like, you know, what's this deal? How's that deal going? What's this, like, what, how's that deal progressing? Did you talk to the actual customer? Oh, it's in negotiation. Okay. Well, who's, who's the guy, who's the buyer? over at that you know deal right and, and have you spoken to the guy who actually owns the po process who's going to get the po signed for us and um you know when you've got that kind of pressure on you you're, you're constantly on the phone constantly on the you know trying to figure things out but but very quickly what i learned is that you know if you've got a strong sort of sales team around you and a strong sales admin and sales ops person a lot of those numbers can be just collected through sales ops but really where I became unique and different is, is that I became an enabler for those sellers. Like, like I, like I would have people tell me, it's like, Hey Gene, you're a different sales leader than we've had before. Like all the sales leaders we've had before were just like, you know, where's the deal? What's the number? What are you committing to? And like, you know, how are you going to, when are you going to get it to me? And if I don't deliver on it, they would just yell and scream at me. It's like, but you're different. You actually want to know what's going on in the deal. And you want to help like you actually get on the plane come to the customer meet with the customer and like present or if there's a problem with legal or if there's a problem with product or if there's a problem with xyz you're actually on the phone or in people's offices trying to get those issues resolved um, within ibm um, and other sales leaders didn't actually do that for us um, i'm not saying that's true of all sales leaders at ibm but that's one thing that i mean there are some most sales leaders at ibm are enablers and they help but for some reason, this is the feedback I got at the time. And so I realized that, you know, for me to be successful as a sales leader, one of the things I just, just to fall back on one of my personality traits is just always around being an enabler and being somebody who wants to help people become successful. So I always looked at how, like I looked at every deal and the opportunity in the context of those deals is how do we enable the team to successfully get to a signature and then 
and that in in the plans evolved around that. Um, you know, that, of course, it's only one side of sales and one side of being a sales leader. Because the other side of being the sales leader is how do you get the pipeline coverage and how do you get the pipeline growth year in or quarter after month after month, quarter after quarter, year after year. Yeah. So, so I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah, I mean, this is long sort of answer around like product journey to sales leadership. And then, uh, and then that was like six months of like, you know, leading a small team. And then very quickly, I'll just say that like in, in early 2015, IBM shuffled, a whole bunch of organizations and they created this team called analytic solutions and it was a big step up and i said oh you know like like for about two or three months nobody put their hat in the ring to lead the analytic solutions team because it was 12 different divisions it was about 700 people across uh ibm europe and my manager in europe at the time kept saying look you should you know, his name was andrew you should, you, you should keep doing this you should put your hat in the ring and if you do i'll, I'll support you and i did but that was a massive step up because now I was leading a team of almost 700 people across IBM Europe. And, and that we ended up doing quite well. It was a two-year gig leading that team. Um, and I learned a ton about just the IBM machinery, large, large organization deal machinery, um, you know, about uh, you know, how CIOs in some organizations, because it's IBM, they'll only buy through the CIO and they won't buy within the business unit. So there are all these things you need to do to get creative around how you sell into an organization where, you know, the CIO is only going to make the decision because it's IBM versus if it's some other small company, the HR team or the finance team can buy it because it's not IBM. All sorts of creative things we need to do. Anyway, I'll pause there. I've been saying a lot. No, that's great. That's the whole point of a podcast, right? Is that we want to hear your yeah. story. And it's a pretty wild story. Um, you know, there are a couple of things in there I wanted to unpack a little bit more, and, and that is, you mentioned customer success. You know, I'm a big believer that sales, you know, true sales, long-term sales begins with winning that first deal. After that, it's all about delivering and managing that customer relationship, so you're driving more revenue. Can you talk about your strategy around that? And Because uh, it, to me, it sounds like you're completely aligned with that, that belief. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it's like like later on in my career, selling SaaS capabilities. When I after I left IBM, went to a small company, I was leading uh, everything from development to go to market to customer success and everything except for finance and HR. But really, I mean, to me, I I never thought about just the initial sale, right? Just like like drive by selling doesn't work, and because you have to make sure that there's the right product market fit with what the customers market problem is what the customer's actual problem is and that the capability will resolve it and if it doesn't then it reflects badly on the company badly on the product reputation um so i've always thought about any deal and it, it, well not just any deal but just i've always thought of any relationship with a customer as a life cycle relationship it's like five to seven years and hopefully longer Right. So when you're selling software to well B2B, it's you should be thinking a five to seven year time horizon. Um, some B2B sales cycles or lifetime cycles are shorter. <laughs> um, but when you're selling large enterprise software, reality is that you'll sell something that if it becomes sticky and people use it, should be used for five to seven year period. Um, and hopefully you can renew and extend. So I've always thought of it from a 
you know, how do you ensure that the customers, A, that we're meeting the requirements out of the gates, and then B, when you're actually installing it, that you're surrounding the customer with a team that will understand um, how to ensure that there's the proper adoption. And then how do you get that expansion within the account to lead to the annual renewals? Um, so you have to look at that buyer journey, right? And what are all the things that you need to have in place to ensure that success? You need to have a strong customer success team. You need to have a strong uh, customer support team because success is what are different, right? Success is about training people how to use it, uh, identifying other opportunities to expand within it, um, ensuring that the users that are using it understand the features, understand how to get the most, the most optimal use out of that platform. And then success or support story is, you know, there's a bug or the product's down and you need to like a firefighters to go in and you know, bring the, like take the fire, you put the fire out or bring the product back to life or, you know, fix the bug or escalate the issue with engineering so engineering can fix the bug. Uh, so you need to have, make sure that you have the right team in place around that. But then also it's around how do you build a relationship with a customer uh, so that that customer has a voice in terms of where the product is going. Um, so I'm a strong advocate, not only in customer advisory boards, but also in partner advisory boards uh, because partners are using the product as well or they're reselling on your behalf. Um, but every customer that that's large um, I've always been an advocate of how do you create that customer relationship with them so that that customer has a strong voice. And then how do you also enable them to become champions within their respective businesses? Because any customer who makes a, even a $30,000 decision or a multi-million dollar decision, it's a career decision that they're making on their, on their side too. So they're taking a bet on you just as your and, and, and there's a vested interest for them to be successful and because they they want to be successful within their careers they don't want to look bad in front of their teams and their users and their managers on making decisions going with this company uh, and this company's product right they want to know that that company is behind them so when you have a customer who's a champion and a raving champion uh you know, who's got the right tool. So you want to give them like use case material. You want to give them other reference material. You want to give them, make sure that they're knowledgeable and that they're also networking with others. So um, one of the things I did as part of the sales leadership role, but also as part of my product leadership role is make sure that these customer advisory boards would be able to network with each other. Uh, I think there's some tools on the market today that actually kind of do that. Like out of the, like there's some of these like, um, uh, like community building, platforms you can actually buy if you're selling enterprise software or you can actually buy these capabilities where you could have like all these enterprise customers get together and have a community about how they talk about the use of the product. Uh, but we ended up doing a lot of that just through through, through some grassroots stuff. So, um, so it's about investing time in the customer, uh, understanding sort of their, their customer network, like who's the influencer, who's the buyer, uh, who are the key stakeholders, doing like a, a network map a little bit, like a customer map. Um, and just kind of working that. Because um, I think ultimately at the end of the day, if you've got a happy customer who can also tell prospects that they're happy, it also helps you sell. But So it's like they're doing you a favor, but at the same time, you're also helping them with their careers. And some customers love that. I mean, there's some customers that, I remember my time at IBM Cognos that, these customers are now like I'm seeing them with their careers. They're now industry analysts, and 
like you know because I got them introduced to other people um, they became quite well known within the circle of people making decisions around analytics capabilities and they're now uh, industry analysts or they're in roles where they're advising other organizations and you know as a result of being a member of the customer advisory board they were able to build some of those relationships that's really cool I, i'm a huge believer in that that um you know it's one of the frustrations i have being in the software business is that a lot i, I really think a lot of the companies out there that deliver product they're very product focused and they're always about what's the new features, what's in the next release, but they forget about the people that have to use this. And how am I going to best leverage, you know, I bought this tool or this package because I was expecting a certain result. But you vendor, Mr. Vendor, or Miss Vendor, you're not helping me drive that result. And so that ends up being frustration and, and, and struggle. And, and uh, you know, my world with CRM, that's a huge problem in the CRM world. Yeah. Um, a lot of companies are very product focused and they just fall on their face when it comes to supporting the customer and really leveraging that tool. Um, so from that perspective, when you think about CRM and your role as a sales leader, did you love it or did you hate it? Um, are you referring to the CRM tools CRM or the CRM? CRM in general, okay. do you yeah. love it or do you hate it? Um, I think I love it. I mean, I think you have to live and breathe by your customers, right? I mean, uh, you think you're key stakeholders in any business, right? You've got your shareholders, you've got your customers, your partners, your employees, right? And you know what? Shareholders, yeah, sure. They've got money in the business. They've got the best interest in the business doing well. Employees, customers, partners, employees and customers are customers number one, right? Because the customers are the ones that at the end of the day pay the employees salaries and you know they're the ones whose jobs are on the line and the use of the product is on the line if it fails right so i've always been probably more customer focused and crm focused than um you know caring about you know you may care about like you know ebitda and gross margins and all those things that like your investors and vcs care about but you know, a VC, you can say, look, you know, hey, I'm not making a lot of margin on this uh, sale, but I've got like 20 customers that have landed and they're all expanding at 30% month over month. And, you know, right now we might be at 60% margin, but like, you know, all, here's the margin journey we're on and maybe in a year we'll be at an 80% margin, but we're growing at 30% year on year or month on month. VCs care about that. But at the same time, though, if the customers are happy and they're expanding and growing and re retaining uh, you know, renewing with you, uh, then, then that's where really the focus should, should come from. And one of the things I've also learned too in the last several years is that as you move to a SaaS business, right, um, you know, you could turn things off quickly with SaaS, right? And, um, you know, so VCs, you know, historically of us two or three years, or maybe, maybe three or four years ago, we're looking at kind of what's your ARR number, right? I mean, um, and is the ARR growing? Um, but in some usage models where you're just trying, if you're doing something innovative in the enterprise network, it's really hard to get a customer to commit to an ARR out of the gate. You, you often need to first prove the value of what it is that you sell. Um, and that customer needs to prove the value internally. So like a pay-as-you-go model 
um, as long as you could show month over month growth, uh, that's good. Um, the problem there with VCs, what they don't like is that if it's a pay-as-you-go contract and if 90% of your customers are pay-as-you-go contract, in theory, they could all say, you know, at the beginning of the next month that, you know, they don't want to use it and they're not committed to uh, an MRR or an ARR. Uh, but if you're seeing consistent growth and renew and them growing and continuing to use it month over month, then that means you're you're doing well. Hence, back to the point around the CRM focused, you have to be focused on that customer success, nice. especially in a lot of these pay-as-you-go models now that most of the businesses are moving towards a um, like a pay-as-you-go or a usage-based model and SaaS. So you have no choice but to focus on that customer success yeah. and adoption. Yeah. I, I think people forget that the C and CRM is customer. Um, yes. <laughs> they get so wrapped around the axle with the technology, they forget technology. It's just a tool. And we just want yeah. to leverage this tool to drive a specific outcome we're seeking. And, uh, you know, it, it's about your people, your processes, and, and the customer. You know, that's where yeah. the focus should be. And the tool is just there to enable and to drive that outcome you're seeking. Yeah, and there are, there are all sorts of CRM tools out there. I mean, yeah. really, you have to remember as a sales leader, a customer success leader, a business leader, a CEO, it's really, it's a tool that enables you to get visibility into, like you've got thousands of customers. You need to know kind of where each of them are at. And if you have a pipeline, you need to be able to triangulate the pipeline. Because in a SaaS world too, right? The pipeline is is not just your, you know, new prospects coming in. It's your existing prospects. It's your prospects. It's your existing customers, and then it's the expansion and renewals. So you've got multiple facets that you need to look at, and a CRM tool should, at any given time, give you that insight. But then also give you uh, a good insight into what's your risk profile around these, right? So, um, like, how many tickets are being raised across the board? Is there a pattern of success or support tickets being raised? Um, you know, you know, why have sales suddenly stalled in this segment versus the other segment? Um, you know, why is the pipeline growing here, but not here? Or how come the pipeline and marketing led, uh, initiatives, like, why is it dried up? Right. I mean, is it, is our marketing no longer working? Um, you know, cause, cause, when, cause the other, the other thing is when you're looking at sales and sales pipeline, you're looking at kind of where's the pipeline coming from, right? You got product-led pipeline, you got marketing-led pipeline, you've got sales-led pipeline, you've got SDR-led pipeline, you've got partner-led pipeline. So you need to have visibility in all of those, but also you you can't fragment like your, your, your pipeline growth strategy across all of those. You need to be able to figure out, okay, which one is the, where, where are you going to focus on? And um, not all products are, are good for product-led growth um, because sometimes they're just like you can't gray out every feature in a product, right? Or, um, you know, or, or take them all on a journey. Uh, you know, ideally, you know, you want to get there. But a lot of the B2B products and a lot of the enterprise products, it's not really how they buy. It's more, you know, we're solving a problem here. Um, but a lot of the B2C products are, are more sort of product-led. Um, but it, we're seeing more and more uh B2B capabilities being product-led too, in terms of that, like, you know, that that capability uh, to add more users instantly, um, then you hit a certain user threshold and then you could, you know, buy on the spot, those kinds of things. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
Well, Jane, I really appreciate you coming on Sales Lead Dog. Um, we're at our time here. Um, if people want to reach out and connect with you, um, learn more about what you're doing, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, just Gene Villeneuve on LinkedIn. Um, I'm pretty easy to find. There might be one or two other guys with my name. Uh, there is also, I've got a website, just genevillenove.com. Um, you'll see more about my cycling adventures there than you will about my business, uh, but there is a, a mentoring uh, page there as well. And there's a contact me uh, page on the genevillenove.com site as well. That's awesome. And we'll have all that information in our show notes. So show, uh, be sure to check out this episode on, uh, you can get the show notes on impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Gene's episode will be right there. Gene, again, thank you for coming on Sales Lead Dog and welcome to the pack. Great. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to uh, to be on the, the podcast. It's great to, to meet you. Thanks for the Likewise. time. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube, and you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales lead dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.